0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: It was during these times that God raised up prophets and spoke to them, but according to Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in the second letter, he says that God is not imputing our sins to us, but this is a time where God is inviting all people to be reconciled to himself.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on the book of Joel. Here's Pastor Brian.
1: We're going to study the book of Joel. So if you want to turn to Joel, it's just right after Hosea and before Amos. So the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. this is literally all we know about Joel. He was a son of Pethuel. We know nothing else. We don't even know when this book was written. We don't know if it was written in what's called the late pre-exilic period, which would be about the 8th century or 9th century, the 800s B.C., some think it might have been written maybe in the, the 600s, which would be the early post-exilic period, and then or pre-exilic. And then some believe that it's written in the post-exilic. and exilic is a reference to the exile. So the, the Babylonian, the 70-year captivity, so some believe it was written before that. Some believe that it was written after that. And, and nobody knows. And the hard thing about it is there, there aren't really any markers. You know, most of the prophets talk about the kings who were reigning. So since there's no reference to a king, that's one of the reasons why some people think that it's, it's after the exile. Because when the, the people came back after the Babylonian captivity, there was no king. And so that is uh, a point in favor of that position. But nobody really knows. So we just have to be contented with finding out later, I guess, if if we're still interested in the details behind this. So let's jump right in. So hear this, you elders. So again, here, it's interesting. It's it's. The word is to the elders, not to the king, not to the priest, not to the princes. The word is to the elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your ancestors? Tell it to your children and let your children tell it to their children and their children to the next generation. What the locust swarm has left the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. So apparently this is written to the people in the land after there was a plague of locusts. And these have occurred from ancient times in the Middle East, in uh, parts of Africa, and they still occur today, these, these locust swarms. Maybe you remember back in 2020, the year when everything went completely nuts, um, there were these locust swarms that were appearing in different African countries, and literally billions of these locusts. And they could devastate 100 square miles in a matter of just a short amount of time. So the description here that is being given by the prophet is one of devastation. Because remember, this is an agricultural culture And so much of their livelihood was dependent on crops and things like that. So if their crops are wiped out, then their livelihood is wiped out and their lives are going to be challenging, to say the least. So he goes on, he says, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. So if the harvest of grapes had been consumed, then there would be no wine. A nation has invaded my land, a mighty army without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white." Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the betrothed of her youth. Grain offerings, drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The olive oil fails. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up. The fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are dried up. Surely my people's joy is withered away. So this is describing literally this plague of locust. Now, in a moment, we're going to go as we go further into the prophecy, we're going to see a similar description, but the description is not of locusts, but it's of the armies that will come and devastate Israel in the future. But the locust, what the locust did is a picture of what these future armies would do. So just so we understand, this is talking about a literal swarm of locusts. That's what he's describing. And so all the joy of the people is, is withered. And so put on sackcloth, you priest, and mourn, wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. So what the prophet is communicating is that this plague of locust is a judgment from God. And so now he's calling the leaders of the nation to lead the people in a time of repentance. Now, these things would occur in the history of Israel and the people surrounding Israel. And, and during that time, before the time of the new covenant, before the time that Jesus came into the world, God would directly judge the nations specifically the nation of Israel and its neighbors. Now, ever since Jesus came into the world and we're living under this age of grace, it's very difficult for us today to look at a situation and to be able to to evaluate it and say, "This, this is a judgment from God. I mean, it could be possible that that still does happen. It could be that there are maybe local prophets that rise up in certain places and pronounce that there's a judgment coming and then a swarm of locusts come through. It, that could be the case. But when whenever we have you know catastrophic kinds of things going on, a lot of times there are people who are quick to jump to, this is a judgment from God. And all of this to say, I think we need to be careful about that because during this age of grace that we're living in, we don't know if if that's the case or not. I, I remember the, the classic case in point in my mind was back in 2001 when the the attack on the World Trade Center and all of that, and there were people that were swift to say that this was indeed a judgment of God upon the United States. This was a judgment of God upon the wicked city of New York and the economic system and all of that. And uh, I even remember, because I was actually in uh, New York at the time, I remember, well, I was in D.C. and I was driving to New York, and I remember driving into the city and listening to a preacher on the radio who had given a special, he had a broadcast on this radio station in New York City, but he had made a special message to broadcast to the people of New York And I was listening to it as I was driving into the city and it was a horrible message. Basically, it was a message like you're getting what you deserved. God is judging you and you need to repent. I wonder if he knew how many Christians died in the attack on the World Trade Center. We had a friend who died, who as a believer died there in that attack. And while he was dying, he'd been a strong, bold witness in his place of employment for many years. He'd been mocked and ridiculed and all of these other things, but he literally led everyone in his office to Christ as the towers were collapsing. And so knowing that and then hearing this preacher confidently say that this is a judgment from God. My question is, how do you know this is a judgment from God? Oh, because New York's a wicked place. Yeah, Well, so is L.A. <laughs> there was no judgment on L.A. And, and so is Costa Mesa. And, and so is basically anywhere and everywhere. So all of that to say, we just need to be careful when it comes to being dogmatic about those things. We don't know. They knew, and it was during these times that God raised up prophets and spoke to them. But according to Paul, in writing to the Corinthians in the second letter, he says that God is not imputing our sins to us, but this is a time where God is inviting all people to be reconciled to himself. So, we have to be careful. Verse 14, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord, alas, for that day, For the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Now, a theme here in Joel is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, we find references to it in a number of the different prophets, uh, beginning with Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 13 speaks extensively of this day of the Lord. And this is what the day of the Lord includes the, the final judgment of God upon the earth and the Lord's return to set up his kingdom. And so the day of the Lord, as it's referred to in the Old Testament, we would, in the New Testament, we would understand it as the great tribulation period, the day of the Lord. So, so the things that are happening here at the time in the land are a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord that will come, ultimately. So verse 16, has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain is dried up. How the cattle moan, the herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, Lord, I call for fire, has devoured the pastures in the wilderness, and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you, the streams of water have dried up. The fire has devoured the pastures in the wilderness. So whenever this was, and for me personally, going back to you know the time frame that this transpired in, I would lean more myself toward the post-exile that this happened between, say, the prophecies of Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. So that, that's personally when I would think that these things happened rather than back before the, the Babylonian captivity. And so there is, you know, this judgment from the Lord that's coming upon the people. They've gone into captivity. They've come back. And we know from Malachi that their hearts still were not right with God. Even though they were going through the rituals, they were going through all of the the things that the priest would do in the temple, Malachi is very clear that it's all just sort of going through the motions outwardly. And so it seems to me that that is the time frame here. Now, I just had something a great thought come and go from my brain. (laughs) So let me see if I can get it back. What was that? (laughs) Okay, I'll carry on. Maybe it'll come back. Um, So chapter two, blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Now here, I believe that we're moving on from from that event. And now we're looking forward. I know what I was going to say. I just remembered. Uh, You know, not every judgment that came upon Jerusalem is recorded in Scripture. I did not know this. I actually found this out this week as I was reading. Pompey conquered Jerusalem in 63 BC. I did not know that. I never heard that. I never really heard anything about that particular sacking of the city. And so yet it occurred. And there's nowhere in scripture that records it, but it indeed happened. We know historically. And so all of that to say, this event, even though we don't have any details about it, it obviously happened because Joel's referring to it. And it very well could have happened in the time frame that I just mentioned. So... The day of the Lord. Now, he's he's emphasizing the day of the Lord. Now, Amos, which comes, uh, of course, it's the, the next book in order, is also talking uh, extensively about the day of the Lord, the coming judgment. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes such as never was in ancient times, nor will ever be in ages to come. Now, here's where we're going to see that he takes basically everything that was said about this locust army, and he applies it to an actual army that will come in the future. But notice what he says about this army, and this is why I think that we're talking about a yet future event. I mean, really, what we're talking about here are the things that you read in Revelation chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 16. I think this is what the prophet is referring to. The day of the Lord and this army that's coming such as never was in ancient times nor ever will be in ages to come. So this is the invasion to beat all invasions. This is the army that is, from the human standpoint, it is undefeatable. And so now the description, verse three, before them, fire devours behind them, a flame blazes before them. The land is like the garden of Eden behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry with a noise like that of chariots. They leap over mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble "'like a mighty army drawn up for battle. "'At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. "'Every face turns pale. "'They charge like warriors. "'They scale walls like soldiers. "'They all march in line, not swerving from their course. "'They do not jostle each other. "'Each marches straight ahead. "'They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. "'They rush upon the city.' They run along the wall. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the window. So this is, I mean, this is exactly what the locust would do. But now he's applying it to an army. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun and moon are darkened and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number. And mighty is the army that obeys his command the day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? So the question is, the confusing part is, how, how is this being referred to as the Lord's army? If we're talking about this being this great um, multitude uh, of, um, of a force that, that's marching against the people of God, how is it the Lord's army? Well, it's, it's the Lord's army just like the Babylonians were the Lord's army. God raised up Nebuchadnezzar. He made that clear over and over again, especially in Jeremiah. He raised up Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians and sent them to destroy Judah, to bring a judgment upon it. Uh, God raised up the Romans and sent them. Jesus prophesied that uh, the, the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple would be destroyed. And this happened less than 40 years after the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And it happened through the Romans. And yet Jesus presents it as God's judgment. And so this is God's judgment on the land. It's the final judgment that's going to come. But it's not a judgment that only includes the land of Israel. It's a judgment that includes the whole world. So, even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. So during times of judgment, like we've seen so many times, God is always longing to show mercy. You know, we talked about this last time and and kind of at the end of the study, remember, I emphasized this, but man, if we could just get this in our heads, God loves us. God does not want to judge us. That is the last thing he wants to do. But isn't it so often the first thing we think about when we think of God? We think God's mad at us all the time. We think God is just waiting to judge us. We think, you know, if we've slipped up in any way, surely we're out of favor with God. And it's just a matter of time before he wipes us out. And we just have to take our Bible seriously and realize that that is not true. God is always inviting us to come back. He's always inviting us to turn. But man, you know, the devil is crafty and he comes along and he capitalizes on our failures. And then he comes in and he can build a very convincing case of why God is finished with us. And if we don't recognize that That's part of what he does. Because he can be so convincing, we end up thinking that it's actually God who's saying this to us. And so we just give up. We despair. We sink into the pit of condemnation. But it's not true. And here we see again the Lord inviting, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And verse 13 rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing.
0: the month of December, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, Is Christmas Unbelievable? Four questions everyone should ask about the world's most famous story by Rebecca McLaughlin. Although the holiday season can be filled with fond memories from childhood or the prospect of more to come, the holiday season can also be one of the most difficult times of the year. The longing for those we miss can intensify, or the loneliness felt throughout the year can be amplified. Whether the holiday season brings you excitement or dread, Rebecca McLaughlin will introduce you to the man born 2,000 years ago and explain the significance of his birth for you today. She will deal with the incredible claims of Christianity and will help you see that it is perhaps more important than you think. The book is Christmas Unbelievable, Four Questions Everyone Should Ask About the World's Most Famous Story by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics so we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you